0: Welcome to the Connor Cherland podcast where I, Connor Churland, meet up with a musician, hear what makes them tick, hear some of their songs, and talk about their life experiences and what they're bringing into their music. On today's episode, we have Sam Doors, D-O-O-R-E-S, from New Orleans, and we talk about his new self-titled album, we talk about recording during the pandemic, and we also talk about the difference between being a collaborator or more of a support role versus being the solo frontman of a project, and pros and cons of that. Turns out he likes them both so much, so please enjoy this conversation with Sam, hope you get a lot out of it. So... One of the things that I've noticed about you, kind of similar with Sam Gelband, is the oh, our ability name. to be... I'm just kidding. Uh, Sorry. <laughs> exactly. We have a lot uh, of similarities. The ability to collaborate really well seems like you very easily harmonize with a lot of other musicians. Also, have side projects, but you also like play drums and sing. Mm-hmm. Uh, backup for a bunch of people, so... As, like, there's just, like, a lot of different groups I can ask you about, like, collaborations-wise, like, Hooray for the Riff Raff, Deslons, Delons? Mm-hmm. Deslons, you... you got it, the first time. Deslons. We got, like, the all the Mashed Potato people, we have Desiree Cannon's, like, COVID album. Let's just start with, uh, is it Alinda? Mm-hmm. So, you were a part of a, a band with her, Hooray for the Riff Raff. How did that band get started? How did you get incorporated?
1: Um, well, my second time to New Orleans... I had just dropped out of uh, college at Evergreen and I had already been in New Orleans and played in an Irish pub down here and just couldn't stop thinking about it so I came back and Elinda was one of the first friends I made when I came back. Um, I remember I bumped into a buddy who invited me to a gig and Elinda opened with a solo set and I was just blown away by her music and uh, we stayed up at the John all night trading songs and um, and we ended up becoming really close and uh and she invited me on my first tour. I opened up for Hooray for the Riff Raff and Cool. This was I don't know, two thousand seven or eight. A while ago. Um, were you a part of the band at that time? No, at, at the time I just had my own I had a I was playing with a guy that was playing a trash can wash tub and <laughs> and myself, that was the tour <laughs> for yeah. us. She had a whole beautiful band with an accordion player and um backup singers and i think a a violinist and um, a percussionist and over the next two years her band kind of kept morphing and changing and eventually i became her drummer and and lead guitar player and uh officially joined the band like i don't know two years into knowing Alinda. we kind of became musically and just life inseparable and just went on tours together all the time and that's when I started the Tumbleweeds, which eventually became the Deslons. Dan and I from the Deslons just became her backup, her backup band and uh, for about, yeah, four or five years made a bunch of records together.
0: What do you feel like you learned about being a part of a band from Riff Raff?
1: Oh, I mean, I love being in a position of supporting other people's art. It's, it's easier not to fall into a crazy hole of uh, like artistic yeah uh existential crisis mode you know and you're kind of just like trying to keep your friend out of the hole (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. and if you see something really beautiful and believe in what someone else is doing one of my favorite things to do is just like help that person achieve their vision and and add whatever weird contribution i can come up with um so for me it's a lot of fun just to it kind of takes the pressure out of it but i also still care about it a lot you know and um And I still feel like I'm, I try to choose projects that I still feel like I'm expressing what I love about music when I play with them. And Riff rap was definitely one of those. And yeah. we wrote together and stuff, so I felt creatively involved, you know.
0: What's the uh, existential pit that that Wait. that you're talking about? Clearly, I identify with this, you but do? I, I want to uh, hear someone else articulate it.
1: Sure. Uh, I was just talking to my friend Noah about it today. Um... He's going through, he's listening to mixes on an album we worked on this year. And I would say it, it tends to happen right towards the end of an album for me, when, uh, when I'm listening to mix variation 32 of track 11 and trying to sequence the order and figure out yeah. if the harpsichord should be slightly louder than, you know, and if the, yeah. the one voice should be panned slightly to the left of the xylophone at that point no one gives a shit they're trying to make a burrito <laughs> and listen to your music in the background and they don't care they don't care yeah. about the panning of the xylophone but i do yeah. you know i get really crazy about it sometimes and so i try to not fall into it and be too precious about it um i try to catch myself when i get in that
0: hole who pulls you out of the hole the most
1: friends and deadlines deadlines are really good at it <laughs> i need deadlines man cause nothing ever feels finished you know Sometimes it's just like, well, it's where it is now, and and uh, I don't know, it's like catching a live bird or something. It's never going to be, you're never going to have, you don't ever want to actually like own the bird. You just catch it for a while and try to then release it again.
0: <laughs> you have a lot of experience catching live birds, I can tell.
1: Yeah, yeah, two hands. You got to keep your eye on the Two bird.
0: hands, you just kind of shake them as you move them. You can, I was going to say it's up. like cutting the head
1: off of a fish, but I don't think that's, That's not the right way to put, like, coming up with a mix. It's more like catching a bird with two hands.
0: Do you make your own deadlines, or does someone set those for you?
1: Oh, never. I I mean, you have an experience with me trying to come up with a, just trying to make an appointment, right? Like, (laughs) if I can, I will set zero deadlines for myself. Um, Really? But luckily, I have a lot of good friends and people I collaborate with that are really good at deadlines, and so I, I willingly accept them into my life and welcome them. I just yeah. don't come up with them.
0: How do you like, as as someone who pushes back against deadlines in your own personal life, like how do you ever push back on them and be like, I I don't know, I feel like that's too soon, or do you like?
1: I mean, I think that's exactly the first email I gave you it was just like, <laughs> sorry, dude, exactly I can't, I, I cannot get it together by then. Uh, my parents are in town, uh, you know. A wild turkey just flew into my room. I can't. Yeah. I can't be bothered. I've got yeah. feather, just feathers everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I would say that I'm. I have a tendency to take on every project that comes my way. So I have. A, I have a tendency to just overbook myself. Mm-hmm. And then until I get to a point where I'm like, all right, I just have to say no to everything for a while until I get caught up. Um, and that's something I've been trying to work on. And and quarantine has actually been good for me to just kind of take a step back from everything. And, and realize that I want to choose fewer projects to work on, and and be able to give more of my attention to each one. So I'm trying to get better at boundaries. And yeah, my first email to you is like, I know I can do this at this point in time, but if I try to cram it in here, I'm just gonna suck at everything. So yeah, I'm working on it.
0: Yeah. So uh, as you learn to like be more discerning with your with your own boundaries, like what types of things are you gonna be saying no to in the future?
1: You know, that's a real good question. I still haven't said no to anything. Most of the things coming at me are coming from friends who have really liked their music, so what I usually say instead yeah. of no is just like, okay, I want to do it, but I can do it in this window of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say that the kind of things that I should start saying no to are taking on projects where, I don't know, there was this one, one of the first live streams I ever did, um... Was the show in Italy? It was right when the album came out. It started off like, "Hey man, do you want to play a live stream?" Um, I'm an Italian booking agent, and you know, love your music. And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds so fun." And then it became, "Okay, it's at 6:30 a.m. your time." And I was like, "Oh, mm. that's that's pretty early."
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Usually, don't start singing till afternoon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, "Okay, yeah." But I was like, "You know what? You're in Italy. Let's just do this." i'll I'll rally and then and then he said you're gonna have to download these two computer programs and then find a way to attach them to your facebook page and our facebook page and then make sure that you go into your computer settings and do and do this all this routing stuff and at that point i should have said no yes Um, because i you know that i'm the worst already at at this stuff
0: it yeah it seems that computers are not your vibe not my friends (laughs) no sam never goes into settings that's not a button setting it (laughs) was
2: yeah
1: this is like the only setting i do i set things down (laughs) there's no other setting in my life i try to catch every sunset you know but uh nice uh, bad joke god i'm sorry That's fine it's fine it's
0: um anyway i ended up These aren't following funny through puns, with it I was, but they count. St-
1: I was like sweating and stressed out by the time the thing happened yeah and then i was singing into a computer and I, it felt mm-hmm. very unsatisfying and um it wasn't like this where there's even a real human being on the other side right. interacting so i would say saying no to those kind of things there's a lot of things during quarantine where you're doing something at one fourth the the actual experience or capacity because you're trying to mimic real life. Mm-hmm. Those are nice. Those are nice things to say no to, and then just do things that you can do fully, given the circumstances.
0: Right. So more. Uh, do you think you're gonna be doing more collaborations with friends? Do you only collaborate with friends? Is that normally how that goes? Like someone becomes your friend, and then they're like all right now i'm in what do you think about this
1: no i mean i i also would love to collaborate with with strangers too um i guess most things have just worked word of mouth and usually it's either like it's somebody i've usually at least met before or like a friend of a friend um but one of my goals is to reopen mashed potato studios i'm working on rebuilding the studio at my house and um once that's open I would love to work with some strangers um and I've definitely worked with strangers on my own music and then ended up becoming close friends you know so um cool. but usually it's friends that ask me to come produce a record or come co-produce something
0: tell me more about mashed potato records why did you make it well
1: the spark notes version is that duffin bill howard um Duff Thompson and Bill Howard came to New Orleans in their vans that they built out to live in, and they each brought um, recording gear. Duff brought his Ampex 351 two track. His van's called the Bun, and Bill's van's called the Heap. And they would start showing up at parties in the Bun and the Heap. One of the vans would be the control room, the other one would be the tracking room. It was beautiful. We'd be at a party and then like one band would come in and record a song or two and then funnel out of the heap and then the next band would get in the heap and Duff was in the bun turning the knobs and I had already on Deslon with my friend Tarek recorded a bunch of friends on our reel-to-reel and recorded the early Tumbleweed stuff on a reel-to-reel there too and some early riffraff and when I saw what they were doing it just of like relit that fire for me and made me realize that I really love recording people and uh Mm. and producing and I talked to Bill and Duff about just moving it into my living room and making it like a more full-time studio situation and um and calling it Mashed Potato Records because I think Duff had like two really great songs at the time that involved Mashed Potatoes and they were just on the mind (laughs) (laughs) yeah um, and yeah, so Duff ended up moving into my house and becoming my roommate and we, we sacrificed sleep and sanity to, to just record all of our friends for a couple of years. We would book something like 50 days in a row and without a break. That's brutal. And it, it was brutal and also really fulfilling and fun. And we were, I think, young enough to pull it off. I don't know if I could still keep that schedule right now,
0: but well, that's it. Why do you like recording? recording. Like specifically other people.
2: Um, yeah, well, we started the idea because we had so many
1: friends that were making their living playing covers, busking on the streets in New Orleans. Um, you can make a decent money if you have a good jug band or a brass band to play
0: with. What's um, a jug band?
1: A jug band is, it's kind of like they play old blues that's arranged classically with a jug playing the bass, like an old gallon whiskey jug that you blow into like... <laughs> And that's the bass sound. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard the Memphis Jug Band, or Mm-mm. I'll send you a couple tracks. It's, it's a really cool sound.
2: Cool.
1: Or the 13th Floor Elevators even used it in like psychedelic music. They attached a little condenser mic to it and then put a tremolo thing on it. And, wow. Um, and then a Jug Band usually has like a fiddle player, a rhythm guitar, a tenor banjo player, harmonies, and a Jug and a washboard player. It's something you can travel with. Everything's really light and easy and cheap to find, and yeah. um, but it sounds great and it really gets the attention of a passerby in New Orleans who's walking down Royal Street and uh, right. wow, a jug band in New Orleans, and then you know make good tips. But a lot of our friends do that, and they also write beautiful original music that we'd hear mm-hmm. around the fire in in our backyard. And the more we heard their original music, we felt like there wasn't a. A studio or an outlet for that to be recorded and documented um, that that was affordable. Most studios that sounded good are just way too expensive and for for that demographic of like young traveling street musician and so we wanted to set up an affordable analog recording situation that captured the vibe of what's going on almost even put together like a little bit of a house band to sit in behind different songwriters. And then just record everyone's favorite songs, and then um, and then come out with a, a compilation for each year that we did that, and uh, yeah. of our favorite stuff that we recorded. And it was a kind of sliding scale, like pay what you can afford. Thank you, Kickstarter, for making that possible. And yeah, that's yeah, that was why we wanted to do it. Just a lot of really great music not being documented.
0: I like to get into some of the logistics about finances because people don't understand what normal costs are or what it means to be more affordable. So like like your value proposition being like, we're a more affordable, like hands-on analog studio that like, we're here to like record people who like are like really good at their art, but don't have much money. So like talking about people who are going out in the streets busking, someone with like above medium talent going out with their jug band um, out on the most popular street on a good day, like what? What money are we talking?
1: What can they make on a good day in New Orleans?
0: Yeah, w- yeah, yeah. What do you think?
1: I mean, New Orleans is really hit and miss. So in the summertime, it's looking pretty. It's looking pretty scarce because people. It's tourist economy, you know. But during French yeah. Quarter Fest or Jazz Fest, if you get a good spot, you can make. I don't know, a few hundred dollars in a day. Um, okay, like five. It depends on how big the band, and sure, there's sure. a thing called super band. We used to do that, like fifteen people play all at the same time. Sometimes thirty people, and we played wow. these simple one, four, five jug band songs and, yeah, yeah. that we all knew, and that could generate thousands of dollars, really, because it just it was such a spectacle. Um, yeah. So we usually do that for some cause. If somebody needed to raise money for a medical bill, or you know something yeah. needed to happen that they couldn't afford, we'd do a super band about it and raise two or three thousand dollars. You know, cool. um, but if it's a four piece band I think everybody on a good day could walk home with anywhere from one to three hundred dollars in their pocket and you know that's all under the table
0: right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you're just basically hanging out in the sunshine with your friends <laughs> drinking a beer and playing music
0: I like how you said it with an air of seduction in it and uh, that's all under the table <laughs> um and when we're talking about studios like a normal new orleans studio if bob who you met on the street wants to record one of his well-written songs like what what do you think he needs to pay to a studio in new orleans
1: if it's bob dylan i'm gonna charge him a lot of money Uh, Mm. um if it's your average bob what we asked for was a hundred dollars each a day if there were two of us working there
0: so very affordable.
1: It was very affordable. And then once we were paying rent for the studio, I think the third year that we had it going, we had to rent a separate space. Um, we asked for $300 a day, one for the rent, and then 100 for each of us, um, yeah. just so we could keep feeding ourselves. But again, it was sliding scale. There's some bands could afford more, and they wanted to pay more, and some bands couldn't afford it at all. And, and then we did lots of trades, too.
0: Yeah that's awesome do you have any good trade stories i
1: think nicky bob did some art for us uh nick shoulders did some art for us and yeah i don't know there was one guy that would he was an ampex guy that would work on things and he would work on our machines and kind of tweak them up and kind of make sure things kept running and in exchange i would get him i would try to book him some shows and record him no really like Hilarious trade stories that okay. you know nothing too interesting. Yet. Yeah, yeah, we're open. We're open to interesting trades though.
0: Yeah, at the at the beginning when I first started playing, I was at this bar and they're like, "We really can't pay you more than fifty dollars. That's just not what we can do." And I was like, "Well, here is the thing: I can't play for fifty dollars, but I can sell things that I am given. So, uh how many of these?" beautiful giant beer steins can i take and, just, and i was like if you turned around right now how many could i take and she was like i don't know let's see and turns around And i was like all right <laughs> just take them all. A great response.
1: let's see let's see how many you can take I yeah <laughs> i hope you had your whole band right next to you at the time
0: yeah it worked out great it's very hard to sell used glassware for a buck uh just in case in case you're wondering yeah, was that an fun.
1: eBay thing, or were you just like auctioning them off at the show? Or?
0: <laughs> no, I just gave them to my dad as like a Christmas present. I was like, yeah, well, it'll count. But that counts. Um, so one of the people you recorded during COVID was uh, Desiree Cannon. Um, yeah. How did that record come come to be about? What what what's your role in there? Because you you also like produce it. So I, I'm. It sounds like what you produce, you also play on, though
1: yeah i mean it's usually just a full-on collaboration um i'm usually in the band and kind of helping co-produce with desiree's album she she had a whole plan with a whole backup band already uh lined up in a fancy studio before before the covid was a thing and um, and i had a bunch of tours booked i ended up canceling all my tours i had about nine months of tours booked and then She had to cancel her session that she had on the books and the band that was going to play behind her. Her record label out there, who are also dear friends, um, the Long Road Society, I don't know if you've heard of them. They ended up suggesting that she just keep it really simple for the sake of COVID safety. And she asked, uh, she heard I was in town and she's an old friend of mine and um, we've always wanted to collaborate. And so she just called and was like, let's let's go down, Kit and Lisa at Long Road just built a studio in Big Sur in in this nice couple's backyard, just like a little, it's called Sundog Studios and um, they have a Tascam 388 and it's all on solar power and it was just kind of like the first time using the studio, let's try it out and go down low pressure and see what happens. And uh, me and Pat and Desiree and Kit and Lisa went down there and started working on her tunes and just trying to trying to see what was there, and then had such an incredible time um, in the first session and felt really good about the music we were making, we decided, yeah, let's just go for a whole record, and this seems like the right time to do it. I'm hanging out on the West Coast anyway, and um, we're pretty close to finishing it. I'm going to go back out there in May, and I think one more session will be done, but I'm really excited about it. Desiree is one one of the greatest singers I've ever worked with and a great songwriter, great lyricist. Cool. Very interesting person. I love her.
0: That's a wonderful thing to be able to say about anybody that you work with.
1: Yeah, I mean that whole crew is just golden. I it's, there's been some silver linings to the whole uh I was pretty bummed at first when all the tour release tour album release tours got cancelled, but uh yeah. but I never would have got to work with them, you know, and, and uh and work on a bunch of other friends' records too, so that ended up becoming the silver lining for me.
0: When you cancelled all those tours, like what did you because I, I mean, it's it's a big loss, right? So you experience like a big loss. Your album is also about loss, so you're like double <laughs> loss <laughs> scenario. Loss squared. What does mourning that look like, and what does moving forward look like when when you have to go through that kind of? It's it's so much work to put together a tour, yeah, and then to have it canceled. So yeah, how how did you? <laughs> what did that look like for you?
1: I think the first, the first stage of mourning for me was being like, you have no right to be mourning anything. The whole world's going through this crazy experience, uh, toughen up, you know? And, mm-hmm. and then I realized that that was kind of just like sweeping my feelings under the rug. And and then I gave my myself permission to feel bummed out. And the first thing I was bummed out about was just losing momentum. I, I had a, Band I put together here that I was really excited about, and our album release show was one of the funnest shows I've ever played. And I'd put a lot of time into booking about nine months worth of tours with uh with George at New West, and you know days and days of emailing <laughs> and yeah. booking flights and figuring out logistics and stuff that's also not my uh my strong <laughs> yeah. strong suit. But I had made a lot of plans that I was like emotionally looking forward to, creatively looking forward to, feeling creative momentum with, and to me it mainly felt like, okay, I feel like I'm losing some serious creative momentum right now. It had been the first tour I was really looking forward to in a while, because the Deslons had toured so much and we just kind of got burnt out for a while. So I think I was mourning the loss of, of momentum and of the excitement of going on tour with this new band that I That I felt really great about and um, behind an album that I was proud of and my first time kind of getting to do my own thing fully you know then I got just then I just mourned the loss of the hours I wasted booking the tour online It's like you can't get those back you know right I could I could have been practicing uh, the hurdy-gurdy or something Um, and then it was gone then I just felt excited to have an opportunity not to tour and to take some Mm. time to to reflect and spend more time, like looking inward, rather than trying to go out into the world and constantly show something. And then it turned into all of a lot of friends making records during that period of time, and and then creatively felt fulfilling again. You know, working hmm. with all, working on a bunch of records, and a- ended up traveling a bunch to do that too. So it, it stopped being Groundhog Day after about three months, which was nice.
0: <laughs> so I mean, March you get that news three months out in June you head out to Kansas for like a a reset like what what do you feel like you gained uh what what was the purpose of it what do you feel like you gained
1: from going to Kansas
0: it seems like on your Instagram you decided to go out to Kansas in order to get away from everything I assumed that was be just like a part of the like you did three months of mourning and then you go to Kansas to like go get your head on straight and then c- like come back to do something. But I, that's me making up a narrative. So feel free to share. Feel free to share. <laughs> I, like, the actual I mean, facts. it's
1: a nice narrative. Uh, I did <laughs> end up going to Kansas at one point. Um, what, hap- what happened was uh, my girlfriend came out Uh, to New Orleans for the album release show she lives in California she's getting her PhD out there um, at Berkeley and and so she came out and then we found out that uh, California was shutting down shortly after the show and um, we booked a last minute flight I at the time I was living in my van in New Orleans while, while the house was getting worked on and so we just decided okay let's Let's go out there before things get locked down and ride this out. And at that point, everything was so confusing. I think riding it out, in my mind, was like two weeks to a month. Yep. And then everything would be under control, resumed tour schedule. <laughs> and then it became pretty clear pretty soon that, okay, I think I live, I live out on the West Coast again right now indefinitely. And luckily, she lives right next to my sister, who's one of my best friends. And so I just settled into the West Coast for a long time and that's where Desiree Desiree was recording and I was there for longer than three months and then eventually my friend Noah who I was I think telling you about earlier um flew me out to Providence to work on his record and then Jackson got married and I went and went to his outdoor wedding and and then from there visited my parents in Kansas I think a, a good like eight months into quarantine wow but Kansas did clear my head a bunch, and so I, I don't know what the Instagram post was, but it <laughs> rejuvenated it my creative vitality, and I started writing a bunch more songs in Kansas and uh, started collaborating with my great-grandfather. I found a book that he wrote and started uh, trying to write a song based off that. And wow. Yeah. Um, I, I always feel recharged after I leave Kansas. That's where my parents live and my cousins, and there's just a lot of, a lot of space and room to dream there you know not
0: a lot going on yeah it's a lot uh it's a lot less bustly than i'm sure most places regarding your album i have lots of questions but before i get into them would you be interested in playing a song from it either windmills or something else sure you you can yeah yeah, i don't i don't really care i'll I'll
1: honor your request because the first request you gave um It just sounds so silly when I sing it by myself. I can't do it.
0: I doubt it, man. I think it would be great.
2: track watching the wind turn I see them spinning as they stand working all day for another man Scar. Watching the wind be his turn, I saw them spinning as they stand. Working all day for another man.
1: Okay. a little out of tune my bad
0: no it's sounds amazing there's a lot of reasons uh to like that song but rather than speculate why do you think people attach to that song
2: I guess
1: it's one of the more well it's a nice break from the from the the breakup song uh uh content that's on a lot of the rest of the record um,
0: sure
1: but I actually think it's i think the um, when I wrote that, probably sharing a bigger part of myself and a bigger part of my childhood, um, and just being more vulnerable in that song than, than on most of the other songs. I think a lot of people can relate to having a complicated relationship to alcohol or substances, and especially if that's involved in a, your parent-child dynamic, you know? And I know that for a lot of my childhood I felt like I had two dads, you know? I think some people out there can probably relate to that
0: yeah what that level of vulnerability what like at what point do you decide uh i'm going to share this with the public rather than this is like a song that's a little bit too personal like what what kind of journey do you have to go through to be like this is vulnerable but i'm willing to share it like why
1: i just had to get my dad to sign some release papers <laughs> you know sign off on painting a picture that wasn't painting him in such a kind light but uh yeah but he also in every interview i made made it very clear that my dad was a very loving dad that was there for me and we we have a great relationship i think that it took me a while because i wrote that song and it took me a long time before i recorded it and i never played it with the deslons because it felt more personal and with the deslons it's more like what can we write that we can all relate to um yeah yeah eventually i just felt that there's nothing wrong with with being fully vulnerable, and some, and I, you know, a lot of the music I love most is when artists are willing to do that. So that's something I want to try to do more of. And yeah, just share a bigger part of yourself.
0: It is really nuanced and really relatable in the sense of like, making sense of some dependencies that we have on alcohol, like, there are reasons why we turn to certain tools, and that's, like, what alcohol is for a lot of the time, it's just a useful tool for certain situations. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: it's called a spirit, you know, because if you're working all day, and you're kind of in a stressed out mindset, and you have that first drink, it becomes a symbolic, now I'm entering a more spirited realm where I can laugh and have fun with friends and feel creative and not think about the daily stresses or the to-do list you know i do appreciate that about a good drink (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) for sure yeah that a lot of the hesitation that i feel toward or like that i feel like the music industry feels towards like substances and everything is there they want everything to be like good and bad like the the thing is like, alcohol is good. The song is like, alcohol is good. Or the song is, alcohol is bad. or. But it's, <laughs> it's like, these things are neutral. So you can write about it. It like It's mostly like a mirror in a lot of these scenarios. Sure, sure, And that sort of nuance is really hard to pull off. But I do think your song pulls it off really well. No, thank you. Yeah.
1: I'm glad it doesn't come across as like, finger pointing just one way or the other, you know.
0: I think because you bring it down to the idea of working for another man and spinning your wheels for someone else's company, that is so relatable to like 90% of the world who doesn't work for themselves. Right. What has it been like working for, is is music your full time? It is. What has it been like being your own boss? Are you a nice boss to yourself?
1: (laughs) pretty ruthless sometimes especially yeah. not giving myself deadlines but uh <laughs> no I uh I think that being your own boss for me whenever i to say I'm my own boss I also have definitely worked a lot of other jobs um and sometimes it's a really nice reminder how nice it is to be your own boss um when I start to forget I'll work in a kitchen for a little while and then realize that music is definitely the best job I've ever had and I feel yeah. very fortunate and and the hardships of touring still, when you do something that feels meaningful every night and it's something that um, you actively went out and chose to do, uh, I think it's hard to feel as fulfilled doing something, um, like you said, for like working for something else or for somebody else, unless it's something you really believe in and you really trust the person or the company you're working for and you trust their intentions. But I do think there's a complete freedom and. and, and a love for your work that's, that's much more easily accessible if you're working for yourself. Um, but you also take more of it on, you know? Like, I've, mm-hmm. I have a hard time thinking, I'm, okay, I'm off work. I'm, you know, like, I don't hit the clock at 5 o'clock and then I'm free. I'm a different person. I'm always thinking about music and always thinking about what I'm working on. So sometimes it's exhausting to be your own boss and your own employee.
0: I would also say, like you mentioned that you love collaborating and you love playing the support role and the the difference between like playing the support role and like uh, working in a lot of other people's companies like when you're in someone else's company you're like a little tiny cog in a giant giant machine and it's hard to connect the purpose of the machine to like your little piece versus right. when it's you're like... collaborating with a friend. And you're like, together, we will make something that we'll both be proud of. It's under your name and not under my name. But yeah, I would say that's a big difference. What what are some pros and cons of like doing a solo project and like having a band to back you versus like you already mentioned, like you take some of it on on your own, but versus and like obviously like the, the existential pit that you are more likely to fall into. Um, what are some other pros about being on your own? like as a solo project um clearly you have a backing band but like Mm -hmm. what have been some of those pros compared to like being a support role
1: well I think that there's a lot of for me I mean songwriting is one of my main passions you know and uh for me it's it's really a way to take interest in the experience of being alive and try to try to tap into a deeper part of a deeper place of universal wisdom or a deeper part of yourself or a more vulnerable part of yourself. And for me, I mean, I feel the most creatively fulfilled when I'm able to receive some kind of song and watch it come to life and develop it with a band and then record it and, um, and like really see the vision through from the beginning to the end. It's, I think it's the most, deeply connected to the, to, the, to the song that I feel is in a solo project. And also I think doing your own project really takes... it forces you to be in more of a leadership role and learn how to work with other people in that dynamic and, um, and to not to be too precious with your own stuff. And there's just a lot, of, a lot of different lessons to be learned in leading a project and having control over it. Um, but while still wanting to let it breathe and wanting wanting to collaborate with your friends in a way that's like ultimately you have the say but you also want your friends input and you also want your friends to leave leave some of their magic in the song and um, and create something that way I think I love I love both sides of the coin equally I, I just I can't imagine doing one or the other and feeling um, creatively satisfied and that's that's the main reason I wanted to have the Deslons be like five equal members with democratic, everyone has a creative say, everyone writes, everyone sings,
0: and uh, Mm -hmm.
1: everyone backs each other up because I, I think I feel most fulfilled when that's the dynamic, you know?
0: Yeah. That's really complicated.
1: Yeah. It's, it's a complicated thing, but I do know that making this solo record for me was really cathartic just to have, It started out as a side project but it's like okay the things that I don't feel like I can creatively do in these other projects I'm in I have an outlet for now and if I want to get weird and experimental in certain ways that other bandmates might not be down for Mm -hmm. I have an outlet for that and then it allows me to be put less pressure on the other projects too yeah so I think for me it's just it's therapeutic and and it's the most personal and also I think it would be a shame if I wasn't able to be in a support role as well i think i yeah. would i would yeah i would miss out on that a bunch
0: i find it so uh encouraging and like slightly uplifting that you continue to say that exact sentiment like as you continue to talk about the like pros of being yeah. the leader like to continue to bring it back but just so we're clear i really like yeah. working with others <laughs> i also love support i well because i told it, you that i like doing both yet yeah <laughs> would well, it it speaks to how like that that's a very like that kind of person would say that kind of thing you know right. Cle- clearly as you're saying this you're thinking of others and you're like i i i also don't want anyone getting the impression that i don't enjoy supporting <laughs> them cuz i love supporting them <laughs> <laughs> that's funny but it it also like shows the 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 purity of that emotion um with a project that lasted this long like a lot of years as a side project while you're working with other bands at what point are you like okay that's these are the songs for the album you're, you was it like no i literally just have this many songs and now that was the number i was shooting for and now i have that many songs
1: no i had a, i had a bunch of more songs but a lot of times it'd be i would just show up, i did i recorded most of it in berlin with my friend anders and um which is another example of somebody I met who I, I met the first day we recorded together. Had no idea who he was, um, and we became really close friends. What I would do is just sit around the coffee table with him in the morning and play him a bunch of songs that I hadn't recorded with the Deslons or Riff Raff. And he would just listen really quietly and then be like, okay, we are going to do this one today. I think this one we can do a cool arrangement, you know? And Love it. Because we were collaborating, and so I just wanted to do whichever ones he had ideas and inspiration for. Um, and so, yeah, that was our process. And we ended up recording something like 16 songs, 17 songs, and and then just winnowing it down to which ones fit on an album together. And now I have an, I have a whole other album's worth of material, and I just got to figure out where and how I'm going to do it. But Cool. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. I want to hear more um, impressions of uh, Anders, but uh, we can. We, we, <laughs> I don't, should, we don't need that.
1: <laughs> I really should. I really should not do my best Danish impression. It's a, he's Danish, but he's living in Berlin for a long time, so there's a lot of margin for error for me trying to yeah. imitate him.
0: Yeah, I bet.
1: I, don't, I Wouldn't it would be a disservice to him? I think
0: we'll go into the um, unrelated. This These are questions that I just ask everybody, just because I'm interested in these subjects so um straying away from the album a little bit mm-hmm. th- do you read books do you like books
1: can't stand them no real? i love books yeah i love books <laughs>
0: okay yeah. what are some books that you feel like have really contributed to your life one or two
1: like ones that i feel like changed my life kind of
0: it, it doesn't need to have changed your life just like it, it can really just be like a really good fiction book or sure. just something that you feel like you keep coming back to keep revisiting
1: yeah one of the first books that i really connected to and i think did very much change my life directly was bound for glory woody guthrie's autobiography i read yeah. read that when i was 17 or 18 and and that's when it became clear to me at the time i was just a drummer it became clear to me that I wanted to write songs and uh, and really travel. I don't know, I got in this fantasy of traveling through hitchhiking and catching trains and seeing the country that way and exploring it that way. Decided not to go to college for a while and traveled like that and started writing songs because of that book. Um, another one of my favorite books during that period of time was Steinbeck's East of Eden. I really mm-hmm. loved
0: that book. and. You loved that book. Tell me, I mean, I've read it and I know people who that is their favorite book it's one of my favorites yeah okay tell me why you love it um
1: each character is is so it each character embodies a whole different universe of thought you know and has has their own innate wisdom even if Mm -hmm. it's kind of evil one of the characters at least you know it's been maybe 15 years since i've read that book so my impressions from a distance are that um the character Lee, I just remember finding so much wisdom and inspiration for and from. And, um, and also just Steinbeck's way of writing. Um, I just love how he writes, and mm-hmm. I love how that story unfolds. It's one of the ones that's on my reread list, but mm-hmm. I remember it, it was the first fiction novel that I felt like I fell completely in love with, to the degree where I even thought maybe I wanted to become a writer, and felt like... Oh, this this format has a profound. It packs a, a big punch. Like a, a giant fictional novel can really say a lot in inside yeah. of it. I don't recommend *East of Eden* the the movie as much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Though James Dean's really hot in it.
0: I remember feeling that same impression with his writing in *East of Eden*, being like, "Oh, he's describing things the way that songwriters describe things. Uh-huh. Like really poetic, really beautiful. Um, you just kind of want to pause and like breathe it in for a second. Yeah. Um." what was the last uh piece of art or thing that you saw that moved you or heard or experienced it doesn't have to be art it can be like my mom said this nice thing to me or like whatever you want to say
1: funny that you say my mom uh my mom's a sculptor and uh she, she, some of her recent sculptures have been really inspiring for me she has a way of being creative and playful but also political with them and mm. um And she just got into painting, which never was really much her thing, and and made a family portrait that's really beautiful and kind of impressionistic. And just seeing my mom try new things and make a beautiful piece of art in her 70s, that was the most recent, like, powerful, inspiring visual art experience I had was just visiting my mom and seeing her work. That's
0: Um, awesome. Like stone?
1: she she's worked with a lot of stuff she she mainly sculpts with clay um but she's done bronze casting and my dad's a carpenter and and the last thing that he showed me was a beautiful piece of tiling work he did uh in a bathroom and i took great inspiration from that <laughs>
0: that's awesome
1: you know uh a bathroom is a work of art too
0: yeah yeah you spend a lot of time in a bathroom
1: it's yeah best decisions are made in the bathroom not the boardroom <laughs> Um, but I, I mean, I've gone to lots of museums and been moved by pieces of art, but it's hard to just like point at one or the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: What, uh, what bad advice have you been given about your music career?
1: Ooh, that's a great question. I probably heated it, (laughs) given where I am at. No. I think also going back to my mom, my mom decided that I should name my band Fertilizer and then write it on the side of the band. Wagon the the van and then she said nobody would steal our instruments anymore because we had our instruments stolen in san francisco one time oh jeez! because they she thought we just they'd think we were just a bunch of fertilizer workers <laughs> uh that was that was a really bad advice my mom my mom i get like a a weekly text from my mom that's usually pretty bad advice for my career that is uh, awesome. love my mom to death but uh and she's great yeah, she's at, her, great at her career, but I'm not going to let her be my manager. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, there's music industry people that, uh, that have their own ideas of what what it takes to get to where you want to get, and they don't usually understand the creative process as much or even where you want to get. And sometimes sometimes I've felt overpushed by booking agents, you know, just like maxed out to the point where They want you to take every little show, even if it's like a 15 and a half hour drive through the night following a tour bus. And then you wake up and you play this thing that's supposed to be a big deal, but you're running on two hours of sleep and there's no time to write new songs and the whole band's testy with each other. And the older I've gotten, the more I've thought, you know, actually being selective in what gates you take and the routing and how long you're driving. And quality of life really does go into the quality of art eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. You can't just run yourself completely to the ground and so i'd say some of the bad advice has been from booking agents uh that wanted to make you know 15 percent of whatever gig we played they didn't have to travel so
0: yeah yeah um you mentioned they don't know where you want to end up where do you want to end up
1: i want to end up right next to the mississippi river in a little home studio uh making great art with friends and Maybe one trip to Europe every year, playing some festivals, and one trip up and down the East and West Coast, and one trip through the Southwest and Midwest a year, and that feels pretty fulfilling. I'd love to go to Japan one day. That's on my bucket list. Um, Nice. We got to do Australia one time, so that was really fun. Um,
0: Does the Mississippi River run through New Orleans?
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, my house is right on the Mississippi River. It's... uh...
0: Oh, so you're living it?
1: I'm living the dream. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I mean, I'm not in my house right now. Uh, It's getting renovated and uh, currently building kind of like a dream raggedy home studio situation in it. Yeah, I think I feel I feel like I've been living my dream for the last I don't know 15 years, and I haven't really thought about too much about where I want to end up. I've always imagined someday, I used to work on a homestead in Ireland for a little while. And uh, wow, I've always kind of wanted to get back to that someday when I, when I want to settle down. And if I have a family, uh, I, I think I'd want to be on the road less and investing more of myself into growing things and, you know, living off the land a little bit more and take a break from city life.
0: Yeah. Are you 32?
1: Close. I'm 34.
0: 34 okay great i was trying to count 15 years <laughs> i, I just like,
1: i'm just saying random numbers i've given up great on. yeah i feel like if it's like within five years you round uh, yeah that's fine yeah either way
0: cool um can you tell me the worst gig you ever did
1: <laughs> besides singing into the computer during pandemic <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> The worst gig we ever did was probably... <laughs> to no
0: claps. That's every online gig is zero claps. Yeah,
1: it's, it's just crickets. But then you get the little heart bubbles, you know, and those yeah. things really make you feel warm and fuzzy. The worst gig I ever did led to one of those concussions I was telling you about. <laughs> it, it ended up leading... To, the gig itself was totally fine. Um, it was a uh, festival gig in Belgium, and things got a little wild that night and uh, and I ended up trying to get a buddy out of a bar brawl and I got wrecked in the process, just like completely annihilated. And then we had to keep touring and, and so luckily our next gig was in Amsterdam so we were able to get some like legal hash to get through the physical pain to get on stage. Yeah. But uh, I'd say that was the worst outcome to any gig was just like getting almost killed. <laughs>
0: Was he picking a fight? My friend. Yeah,
1: my friend started the fight for sure, and it was <laughs> it was at the end of the night. uh But he, you know, he was doing it. He was coming from a really good place. He he wasn't just being an asshole. He was he was standing, like he was
0: defending someone. He was
1: standing up for somebody's honor. I'm not okay. Gonna, cool. I don't want to leave too many details. I mean, I don't yeah, want to yeah, yeah. give too many details, but. Uh,
0: Fighting for someone's honor is tight. Yeah,
1: totally. Especially when it's against two uh, Belgian ex-military brothers that are twice your size, and there's just one of you, and you're blackout drunk. There's a good chance that you're going to win that one. Yeah. Well, I guess there were two of us, because I ended up jumping in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, To to no avail. I'm stronger than I look, but there was no chance we were going to beat these uh, Belgian military... (laughs) yeah brothers i mean they they had it worked out to a T. one of them punched me in the in the chin and then it shot me into the other guy's punch it was like one of those pinball moves you know yeah and i i think i flew a good three or four feet off the ground and
0: That's ended awesome. up on a
1: marble staircase bleeding out of my face uh Jeez. with a concussion and a bunch of broken ribs and whoa that was the worst gig
0: wow uh yeah i hope i never have to see you in a fight Sounds. uh... i'm pretty
1: i'm pretty over it i don't (laughs) like but i was before that fight too so you never know you know uh if you see your friend in a situation where you think your friend might get killed you're probably gonna run in and try to get them out of it no matter
0: what yeah 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 wow that's amazing uh i mean do you have any uh songs to close us related related to, to that uh, uh, related to blood related to alcohol related to oh uh, man well we did the alcohol buddy. one
1: I got one related to I guess yeah it's kind of related to blood and alcohol it's, it's about addiction to heroin does that count? oh yeah okay
2: You're singing divine The words that you hold in your hand Give one more thought to your plan And the wolves in your head Have been cuddled and fed What's this you've got in your pocket? It's so hard to stop once you start it The singing break been screaming through your veins So hit the brakes or lose all that remains Uncle Jesse, you're your mama's baby child.
1: Sorry, I got bad teeth working on the whistling. <laughs> oh, it's giving.
2: Um, now the bees down your spine, they're waltzing in time. But who's really calling the dance? Who's really taking the chance? I would. Heart burning sands If I could help you understand The singing break When screaming through your veins So hit the brakes Or lose all what remains Uncle Jesse You're your mama's baby child
1: The newer one still haven't recorded that one but
0: I like it well thank done thank
1: you blood guts brains it's all in there
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um well that's pretty much what I have so thank you so much cool man for meeting up yeah uh, this thanks chat. for having me yeah of course what do you got on the rest uh, of
1: the docket for the rest of your Easter
0: rest of my Easter uh go rollerblading with my wife And then play some video games while I eat some orange chicken.